This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land Legacy Podcast. It's your host, Matt Dye, and I've got... Kyle Hedges, Land Legacy Consultant, with me here on the line. Kyle, how are you doing this evening? Doing fine. Just had some dinner. I'm in my nice air-conditioned house avoiding the (laughs) sweltering heat. (laughs) Man, it's been nasty, nasty outside. Super hot. And I know a lot of portions of the country are also feeling that heat. Um, Definitely makes me think about uh, thermal cover and the necessity of that on properties. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about... Um, paradigm shifts. We're talking about changing the way that we view things um, and and, uh, what will then allow you to observe and become the best land manager possible that experiences the best type of results. And, And I always like these discussions of like trying to mentally prepare yourself to, to, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here, but we're just trying to create awareness through observations and through management. So, um, but before we dive into the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Onyx Maps. Onyx, if you're not subscribed to Onyx, you need to do it. It's a digital mapping platform, allows you to learn about your property, allows you to plan about your property, plan future hunts, stand sites, um, bedding cuts, food plots, layers upon layers. Um, of critical information. Um, make sure when you do become a member of Onyx, you use Legacy 20 at checkout, but also make sure you become an elite member. That's Onyx and Legacy 20. All right, Kyle. So I brought up the term paradigm shift. What, in your opinion, is the definition for paradigm shift for those people who aren't familiar with it? You know, in simplest terms, it's just thinking thinking about something different, differently, uh, through mm-hmm. a different lens. Uh, oftentimes, uh, not right or wrong, but over time, we just grow accustomed to thinking, well, this is how something is. This is how it works. This is how this functions. This is how it's just the fact that, you know, this system works that way or, or whatever we're talking about. Yep. And then you, at some point, you got to stop and say, well, is that? a fact is that does it have to be Mm -hmm. can we look at that differently can we can it be different maybe it can maybe we're just caught up in the routine yes for 20 years 30 years a thousand years whatever and and perhaps it can be different or viewed differently or operate function differently so it applies to a lot of things in the world um not just outdoor stuff i mean it happens all the time in you know different factories or businesses um they have a just a, sh- a shift and a, a paradigm shift like hey we need to stop and rethink this, this yeah <clears throat> I, I think i think of those like those brain types you know think of think about people going down a road right they're headed north a paradigm shift happens they reverse course and they start heading back south it's kind of like this complete 180 from the, the normal flow of traffic and you've just decided that, hey, 
I'm going about this a different way. I'm attacking this at a different angle, and I'm going to get different results. That's kind of the, if you will, maybe a layman's term of the way I try and think about it, um, of what a paradigm shift is. Uh, like I said, it can be applied to a bunch of different things. Um, but w- when was the first time that you heard the term paradigm shift? Because I know mine, it kind of sticks out pretty pretty well to me in my head, my brain. Oh, boy, I don't know. I mean, mine came in my professional career yep. at work. Um, oh, maybe in the late 90s sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being in a meeting and it was kind of a, if I recall correctly, the first time I ever heard it used was in, looking at a, a reorganization of okay. our, our yeah. entire structure. And it yeah. was, you know, hey, just because we've been this way for 30 years doesn't mean that's how we have to be. Mm-hmm. Or should so be. It, or should be. Or yeah. is the most effective way to be. And and times change. So Certainly. Anyway. Yeah. My, mine was, was learning about grazing. Uh, grew up, everyone in my family had cows and just grew up cow-calf operation. This is how you do it. This is what you do. Like, this is this is the, you know, animal husbandry. This is how you graze and whatnot. But then really when, when that rotational grazing came on the scene, let's say for me, this was probably about 2006, 2008 ish. And it was like, okay, here's some new information. They're not grazing the way that I learned how to graze. They're moving cows. They're, they're doing more intense grazing, um, more moves, but the cows and the pastures are recovering crazy. Like this is not just put them out on pasture and let them decide where they're going. This this type of management and type of raising cows was that kind of paradigm shift, and that was a common phrase used in that, um, in, in, you know, in the presentation of that information regarding rotational grazing. But it has so many different types of applications. And, and I think that a lot of people may agree, but we, Land and Legacy, tend to have a lot of paradigm shifts. We don't think about land management, um, habitat management, game management in a lot of the, if you will, maybe, I'm not going to say textbook answer, but in the mainstream type understanding of those realms. Would you agree with that, Kyle? Oh, sure. I mean, there's... I can think of just in my career some of the massive paradigm shifts. Um, you know, spring burn. Nobody, nobody burned in mm-hmm. August, September, October. Yeah, thirty years ago when right. I first started. You know, as a wildlife biologist, that was unheard of. Well, you, the and, the research that you and, and and Frank did of of learning how to really improve quail numbers the, the, there's a paradigm shift from the the fence Absolutely. row strip disc you know field kind of mentality the linear model um yep. you guys got really far away from that and introduced cows into the system and just proved that hey this is what they need this is the way it should work and that was a paradigm shift for a lot of managers Absolutely. And a lot of times we don't even think about it in terms of a paradigm shift but it is it's mm-hmm. just it's new. It may be new information, or it may just be a different way of looking at the information. Yeah, the information's been there all along. We just weren't thinking about it in the right context sometimes. 
Absolutely. So it changes the view. So and, and that's a sen- that's essentially what we're what we're talking about in, in this week's podcast is uh, there's there's an absolute um, difference in the way that we generally will approach game management. Um, and it's not on an individual level; it's on a population level. So we're looking at the population as a whole. So we're looking at the deer herd. We're not looking at the the three shooters you have. We're looking at um, the turkey population that the neighborhood has, not the two long beards that you shot last week. It we're we're, we're taking into consideration all these different elements and looking at the bigger scheme of things. And, and, and that's the approach, let's say, to the management side of things. Mainstream kind of tells us, look at the individual. That's your marker. That's what you're managing for. Focus, focus, focus on that. So essentially, that's kind of, all right, that's the way we approach some things. This is kind of another angle at that same line of thinking. Um, but essentially, as you see in the title... It's top-down management versus bottom-up management. And, and to define what that is, is referring to is top-down, again, is kind of like that individual mentality where a land manager is really just focused on, hey, this is my hit list. We're doing, the, the, you know, how are we going to kill this deer this year? We're, we're only looking at the top percentage of that entire population and making all the decisions based on those animals in this, let's say, 5 to 10% of the population. All management revolves around them. The top, you work at the top all the way down to the bottom, opposed to working from the bottom and saying, hey, I want the fawns that are born right now that are on the landscape today be in the best environment possible so that they are born into and are raised into a system that is going to allow them to be the best individual of an existing population possible. So top-down versus bottom-up management. Kyle, how, how does that resonate with you? What 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 comes to mind when you hear that? You know, I think the the reality is we we all get to the uh, a similar end to some degree. Yeah, we, we all we all want those shooter bucks, and we'll get them um, right, and we'll get them bottom up, and and even and even top down perhaps. Yep, yep. but I'll argue some critical steps if we only are if we only focus on that top part so yes um yeah you know again it's just two different ways to look at it but but we've got to recognize where we've been and where we're going and in this case um you know talking about a five or six year old deer well it didn't just magically appear on the landscape it wasn't born this year as a Buck. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's exactly right the the bottom line is well where did that start how did that start and what are we doing to help that start be better and then the when he's two and all these things that we're going to talk about i, I think of um, like a, a a race right like 
there's always that, let's say, photo finish kind of situation. But but a true like NASCAR fan loves every second of that journey. Like they love the the start, they love the 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 wrecks along the way, um, the pit stops, whatever it is. It's the journey that that really defines that finish. And essentially, that's kind of what we're talking about when it comes to let's say more or less deer like we're, we're targeting and, and and managing growing our goal and our focus is mature deer well we can enjoy and need to be focused on the journey and not just that photo finish end and when you have your eyes set on that let's say years you know from a fawn six months and less all the way up to four and a half plus what are some of those key things, Kyle, that you think of regarding deer in that time span that someone from the bottom-up mentality is focused on thinking about versus someone from a top-down mentality that's only focused on four-and-a-half and older age-class deer? Like in that lifespan, how would management give you potentially different results? I think the bottom-up you're going to find is just more holistic. Uh-huh. It has to be because we're talking about different stages of that animal's life and different nutrition requirements, different, um, it even starts with, you know, the, the doe that's giving birth. Yes. So different quality of forage. Um, so, you know, it's not just about age and Lactation getting them to this certain rate. place. I mean, all that's important too. Yeah. It, it all plays into this. You know, we can't have a five-year-old if we're shooting them all at three. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's absolutely more holistic because if, I mean, there's documentation, there's all kinds of research out there that, you know, if you're a fawn and you have a pretty rough go of it your first year, you're already behind the eight ball. Yes. So for sure. the, the potential for that deer when it does get to be five years old, so even if we got the age on it, if it if it suffered the first year or two in poor habitat, mm-hmm. it, it's never going to reach that potential. So yes, um, and, and, the, and the the term and, and podcast. So those who aren't familiar with it, we don't have time to go into all of that detail um, during this week because very it's very complex but extremely impactful um, and influential to what we're talking about. Um, during this week's but is is epigenetics and we we had a great discussion and with uh, dr bronson strickland on this topic so go back and research epigenetics but essentially that's just the genetic material that's being passed on to fawns to prepare them for the said environment that the doe is raised in right so if your environment is stressful lacks food the the genetic makeup that is going to that fawn is preparing them for that type of condition but if we change that and we we start to consider okay how's this fawn being brought into the world here is there high deer density um is that doe having to um sacrifice neglect um the the other fawn she had twins but she she couldn't nurse like what kind of environment are they being born in that's the bottom-up mentality because that's going to change the the actual potential of that fawn and 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 in generations and cohorts we'll we'll see that expressed out phenotypically or or in antler sizes so it has big implications it'll take time to get there but it does i mean it starts at the start 
which it sounds so dumb to even say, but that start really does matter, and it's not just top-end quality. Oh, now here's this deer that just showed up. Now here's all my energy focused in at, let's say, developing the hunting strategy and the food plot architecture to harvest that animal. Well, the food plot architecture didn't grow that animal. Right. And, hey, that's all well and good to a point. I mean, you can spend, you know, two months in the fall just solely locked in on that, but but it better be because the other 10 months of the year you already had things planned out and and things happening and habitat being done, and you can't. And even during that, you're not sitting in the stand 24 hours a day, so even if I am hunting hard, you know, when I'm back at the house in the evening and eating supper, I still may be thinking, actually, when I'm sitting in a stand, I'm usually looking out, thinking <laughs> about projects. Hey, I need to do that you're when the pl- season's you're over. You're planning I'm, on Onyx. Yep. <laughs> yes. I need to be cutting over there. And yep. I mean, you've got to be strategizing all the time for the next step for habitat improvement because it never ends. Correct. There's there's maintenance. There's improvement all the time. Everything's always changing and growing. So I've always got to right. be looking forward to the next step and oh man i've got some invasives popping over here or crowding off the neighbor who knows there's just there's always things to be considering absolutely absolutely i i just again want people to realize hey i need to i need to adjust my lens i need to change my focus i'm i'm considerate of what i'm what i'm doing i want to be more impactful and more intentional with my management and my time on my property, perhaps I need to, perhaps I find myself in that category of top down, but I really need to be kind of bottom up. I I really need to make that adjustment and that swing. Um, But again, like we just stated, at the end of the day, you can have great trophy type mature animals either way, but I bet you over the course of time, your property is going to be far more improved uh, across the board, top to bottom, and not just the things that impact what happens in October, November, December, January time frame. It's year-round, full-time management consideration for, oh, like we just started the podcast, thermal, thermal refuge in the summer. Do you have that on your place? Well, if you think bottom-up, you would have that represented on the place. There, there, there'd be that opportunity on your farm. So all that to be said, that's a kind of a, a, a quick example for deer. But we can't, we can't not discuss the same thing for turkeys. So, so what would be the differences, Kyle, in discussing top-down versus bottom-up regarding turkey management? Actually, a lot of states are going through this right now. And, and yes. one way that I would say they're focusing on top-down um, is harvest regulations. And I'm not saying yep. those, the harvest regulations are wrong. We have declining turkey populations. And so some states are scaling back on harvest. Yep. But that's one piece of the pup. That's not holistic. That's top-down. Mm-hmm. Those are adult. Mm-hmm. Those are already gobblers that is right. produced. That is looking at existing population not the creation of more yeah so okay well i'm i'm looking at but why is the population down over 50 percent why are we having to reduce bag limits oh mm-hmm. it's because our nesting success and brood rearing is terrible yeah well we need to fix that 
um, maybe we need to do all of the above uh, at the same time, and then we can relax the hunting re- the hunting regs down the road. You know, I don't know, but we I can assure you that we're not going to solve the problem with hunting regulations alone. Sure. Um, if we don't have the breeding capital in the first place, and we it's just it compounds itself. So. It, it has to be habitat focused and it starts with, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, mm-hmm. it, what I can't get a gobbler until I've got an egg that makes it to hatch. And then I can't, that little pulp now has to make it to adulthood. And then it's got to, not only that, now it's got to make it as a Jake, it's got to make it another year to be a gobbler. Totally. I mean, that's a tough road to hoe. Um, I mean, the percentages when you, when you really stretch it out, I mean, from from an egg that's laid on the ground to 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 looking down the beat of a barrel and looking at that that Tom, man, that he had a extremely low percentage rate of getting there and 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 doing that. It's it's really really oh, impressive. Yeah. Well, Frank and Frank and Adam and I just did uh, a podcast the other yep. day and talking about some of some hard numbers mm-hmm. that that stretch from Texas to to South Carolina, Georgia, maybe anyway, a a long stretch, several States. And, you know, the nesting success was 21% and then only 30, 33%. So a third of the broods made it to 28 days. So if you do the math, now you're down to 7%. Correct. Because only one out of five nests made it. Mm -hmm. And then only a third of the broods made it to even 28 days old. And that's just assuming at least one chick survives. So yes. not to rehash that whole thing, but you're already down to 7% to get to 28 days. We're not even two years old when you're a dog. <laughs> exactly. That's Low not sustainable. Chance. No, correct, correct. And, and yes, I, I think a, a very preemptive, uh, uh, let's say early first move is right from the states, what they're doing. Um, but at the same time, We've got to make sure that we've got uh, other th- considerations that are occurring to to really bring in that bottom up type of management to make more the turkey population a little bit more robust in the years to come. Initially, what they're doing, yes, I think is the right move, but we gotta expand that focus and expand that lens paradigm shift a little bit more, and that's gonna take private landowners to do it. It's not just going to be a regulation type change. That's going to that's going to put more brood rearing cover on the landscape. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, going back to the thinking about on the deer side. Yeah. I think that that top down, sure. You know, if you're if you're looking at that way and you have three shooter bucks on your half section every year, that that's awesome. Ah, sure. I'm, I'm glad you do. I can assure you, though, bottom up you're going to more consistent, you're going to have more consistency and possibly more shooters in the long run on an annual basis. I Um, totally agree. It's just, it's, it's the entire looking at the bigger picture. That's, that's just how it plays out. We don't miss a step on the, you know, you can't get to the top step without hitting the first 10 step on the staircase. It's just, it's not how it works. Exactly. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, your property is going to be, working like a well-oiled machine the the let's say the wildlife yield per acre is going to increase from a bottom up 
standpoint rather than a top down. Like you're going to be able to hold more. You're going to be able to um, you know, increase that carrying capacity, which is going to get more deer to older age classes. You're going to be able to feed more, so on and so forth. So, so your opportunities are going to increase in this paradigm shift of thinking about what it is, how you're impacting the wildlife. But I say wildlife, it doesn't have to be just wildlife. This can be relative to, um, let's just vegetation, right? It could, we could be talking about top down versus bottom up in, in, uh, oak regeneration, which there's some podcasts in the future that we're going to be doing, uh, talking with some individuals about, oak regeneration and um, some of the, the future, which unfortunately is not looking very bright from oak regeneration in a lot of portions of the country. And um, that that's a, that's a very strong uh, necessity uh, for, right, making mast out there, hard mast on the landscape. So we've got to be considerate of that. So if you're only focused on, let's say, just your, your producers, your, your oak producers, out there on the landscape, then you're not really probably thinking about, well, are there young oaks coming on? Like, are, are, am I going to have a future here? Uh, am I going to have a, uh, a future? What if, what if like, tornado comes through? Do I have oaks, younger oaks, in the mid-story that I can bank on? And if not, you're only focusing on the top end and not the future of what's going to happen to your forest. And my goodness, I, sp- I spent a week or so in the southeast. Adam was just in Tennessee. Uh, we've had some really good discussions, but hard discussions about, you know, future forests in these regions. And the shift and the direction that it's headed, it's not in a great place. And I think a lot of it has to do with, one, sure, people are nervous to to manage the timber like it needs to be managed with disturbances thinnings clear cuts fire but we're, we're running out of oaks we're running out of good understories but we're just thinking about top or thinking through top down and not bottom up and that's that's kind of alarming that's not doesn't paint a bright picture but it's the truth You know, the the bottom-up being more holistic, it comes down to just functioning ecosystems, to be, mm-hmm. to put it simply. And so it, we're talking about the, the trees, the herbaceous plants, the, the shrubs. It's all in the wildlife, the insects, all of that. And that's what Land and Legacy is all about, is, you know, historical disturbances, historical plants that should be there trying to emulate natural processes but the bottom line is if you're doing this holistic approach bottom-up management that is good for deer year-round every week of the year every month of the calendar has good stuff for every age of deer on your farm or turkeys or whatever the case is that's going to that's going to result in a completely functional ecosystem Mm-hmm. Whether it's grasslands, old fields, woodlands, glade, or a combination of all of that. And that's what we're after. That's the bottom line because it's it's about all of those things. There's monarchs out there. There's 
you name it. There's all kinds of things that we don't even know what the name of them is, There's, but they <laughs> matter right. in this functioning <laughs> ecosystem, yeah. right? The, the spiders, the bugs, the just all kinds of stuff that is critical in this food chain and this, and this, you know, the functioning of this entire thing. Yes. Yes. It, we have to think that bigger picture. And again, that bottom up, generally speaking, right? If, if you're top down, you're, you're very narrow focused on some aspect of, of um, you're fractionally looking at the whole picture bottom up. If you're looking for the bottom, you're literally looking up. You could see way better. Okay, right. You're, you're, the, the view is much more expansive, and you're able to understand and grasp things to the degree that they need to be grasped. I, I don't. I always kind of struggle with this. Of we try and simplify things, but at the end of the day, yes, things are complex. But don't let the complexity stop you from digging in and diving and learning more about it because as a land steward that's the responsibility that we all have but you don't have to have a degree you you don't have to own land outright you just have to be passionate about what it is that you're doing and look at it through the right lens and you're going to make the right steps and you got to take the steps don't don't get the whole analysis paralysis stuff don't let that hold you up but make sure you're actively managing and looking bottom up opposed to top down and i promise you that holistic view of land management and wildlife management will and does improve hunting it does that's just that's just the way that it works out. There's hundreds of clients that will support that um, and that have come on the podcast and talked about it. But at the end of the day, that is the, that's the golden ticket. That's the silver bullet. Yep. It's just not as easy as, a, you know, the silver bullet everybody wants. It takes work. <laughs> that's right. It takes effort. <laughs> takes thought. And, yep. and that's okay. It takes planning but that's it's okay. But it's so fun. does everything else good in life, right? Anything that's worthwhile is going to yeah. take some effort. To, I mean, this is how it is. A hundred percent. Any other closing thoughts um, on top-down versus bottom-up approach to land management, Kyle? Uh, just, you know, you just can't. You, you may be trying to get to the, the same end goal, and that's okay. Yes, I think let, you just need to consider the where did that animal come from and how did they get there. And if you focus on that, it, everything else will fall into place. If you focus on top down, the other things may not fall into place. You focus on bottom up, and and those top tier animals they do fall into place. It's you, just we, how it's going to happen. We might we might even go to say that the top down approach is going to give you some accidental results which is another recent podcast that you may want to check out if you have not already listened to that. A couple weeks ago, we released Accidental Results. That, too, is that top-down mentality. So, Kyle, I appreciate it. This was a yep. good, quick, heavy hitter, but we got another podcast to record. Adam's going to come on the line here in a few, and uh, we're going to knock that one out, too. So, guys, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking with us, and hopefully this was... Um, educational 
and you guys can learn and apply it to your piece of property, wherever it may be. Thank you guys for listening.